It has been uh, a little while since I've been able to preach here um, in, in church, and um, a few years ago I was a pastor and spent a few years preaching over in Austin, and God moved our family um, unexpectedly and, and, and kind of through, through, through quite a bit um, here to Houston, and um, just after the, the Covers came and started the church, and we've been a part of all that God's been doing through them and, and just through our church and been thankful to be a part of that. And, um, and then he, he was asking me to preach, and then he stopped asking me to preach, and I don't know why. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure there was a good reason. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, so it has been, has been about a year um, or so that I've been able to do this, and I say that just because um, there are habits that are built, and there are some just some things that you kind of get used to and talking in front of folks and, and, and being able to speak and preach and all those things. And um, that's what's got me nervous this morning is uh, just making sure I say things right, making sure I talk slow enough. Um, California has an accent. It's called talking fast. And um, I, had to, I had to work myself out of that over years and years and years of forcefully telling myself not to talk quickly because after services, a few, few folks, um, older ladies would come up to me and tell me that I talked too quick and they didn't understand a thing that I said. And so if that's the case... What you do is you just hold your hands up, just like slow down, just slow it down, and I'll understand exactly what you mean because the words come quickly. I'm thinking them, and that's how fast I can say them, and um, so I need to slow down a little bit so that everyone can understand everything. Um, The trade-off, though, is that I'll usually go an hour and a half then, right, because I'll have as much content to fill a 30-minute message, but if I slow down, it just keeps going, and uh, kind of I can think more then. Uh, but we're going to be in John chapter 1, if you would turn over there with me, John chapter 1, and um, we're going to look at an aspect of Jesus Christ here found in John chapter 1, and um, look at then some scriptures of what that means for us. And so we're going to talk about Jesus today, and talk about you, and in our lives, and what Jesus has to do with us, and how important He is in our lives and so if you would, find in your Bibles, John chapter 1. I don't have anything on the screen, nothing fancy up here. Um, just didn't have time to prepare things like that. You, that, that. That takes a lot of time. And for a pastor to do those kind of things, just, that's an investment on top of the investment to prepare the message itself. And so be thankful for everything that ends up on the screens. We're not going to do anything like that. So John chapter 1, it says there in verse number 1, follow along with me as I read this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the lights, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, speaking of John, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, 
This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. With these words now in our mind, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? And as I pray um, for our time together, would you pray, Lord, would you just open your heart to receive exactly what God would have you to get out of this passage and the passages that we'll look at here this morning together. Father in heaven, our Lord and God, we're thankful that we get to have this time on a Sunday morning to gather together to be in your word as a church, as a family of believers, giving our time on, on a weekend here, sacrificing it, Lord, for you come to worship you, to put you on the preeminence of our day. And I pray, Father, that the reason that we came would not simply have been just for fellowship or friendship, the thing that we have to do on Sundays, but rather, Lord, that you would right now focus our minds, that your Holy Spirit would have his way in our hearts, guiding us and leading us, teaching in a way that I cannot Allow me to simply be your mouthpiece here today. And God, would you grow each and every one of us in your word, grow us in our faith, in our obedience and passion for you. And it's in your son, Jesus Christ's name, we pray all of this. Amen. Amen. Right now I work in construction. I do remodeling and I found and um, discovered that in this there's certain things that have to happen before other things happen. We look around us right now in this room, and of course we see walls, and then everything that comes off the walls, the trim and the base and all the casework and all that kind of stuff. Underneath the walls, though, is a lot going on in order to allow a house to function in the way that we would expect it to function. Right now, if you go to a sink in one of the bathrooms, you turn a faucet and water comes out of there. That water runs through the walls from its source to that faucet. It's running all over, pipes are going all over the, the, the parts of the, the building that we cannot see in order to have water where we want water to be. The same goes for electricity. There are wires running all over this building that allow the outlets to function that are powering the TVs and the microphones and everything that we're using and enjoying right now that, that we all know and understand, I know, that allow us to enjoy the, the modern necessities of life. And it's, it's really become that you could not nor would want to buy a house that did not have running water and sewer systems, would not have electricity going to the places that you'd expect it to go and to have lights and light switches and all of those things. As a part of that building process, though, those systems have to be put into place well before the building is finished, right? It would not make sense to build the building first, completely finish it out, and then go and cut all the holes necessary to run pipes and to run wires. No, you'd want to do that before the walls are put up, and you would decide where outlets go, where switches go, where lights are going to go, where faucets and bathrooms and sinks and toilets, where all of those things have to be, are all decided in the pre-planning stages so that when the building takes place, you lay the foundation, and on top of that, when the walls go up, all of those things are placed then into the walls. And in the building up of the Christian life into the image of Christ, which is what we would want to be built up into, we want to look like Jesus Christ, 
we will not become a finished product, will not be built up and become a matured servant of God without in the same way having some vital utilities for the enablement for that walk with God. You see, some Christians want to, or some people, I should say, want to look at Christianity and say, well, that's just their good works that makes them that way. Oh, to be a Christian, they have to do these certain things. They go to church on Sunday, they give to the poor, they take care of one another. That's being a good Christian. And sometimes people come into a church, they join a church, they become part of a church, and all they've changed is the outward facade. Basically, they've put a coat of paint and maybe a new trim package on their outer selves and are now calling themselves a Christian because they look like the other Christians in that church. And see, a lot of people are doing that and then wondering why they don't have the basic necessities and and, and the basic power that a Christian experiences in their life as they go through trials, as they go through difficulties, as they serve God and are used by Him. And they're wondering, how come I'm not seeing the results in my Christian life that others are seeing, even though I look the part? I look like a brand new house. Why am I not seeing what other Christians are seeing? And what we find in this passage that we just looked at are two vital characteristics, two vital utilities that were given here of Jesus. And they're found in verse number 14 and verse number 17, saying that He was filled with grace and truth. Grace and truth. And we're going to take a good long look at the necessary integration of grace and truth in our life here at the foundational stages of building and growth. If you've put on the facade there, we're going to have to do some remodeling. There's going to take some work to get these things integrated right. But if we're building ourselves up into the image of Christ, these things have to be put into place. These components of grace and of truth have to be into that integrated into our lives if we're going to experience the power all right, experience the, 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 the utility of what it is to be filled with God. The main point is going to be is that we cannot get away from Jesus Christ. He is not simply our foundation, but rather our blueprint, the model of which we are building toward, and that as a person, you and I would be filled with the same grace and truth just as He is. We don't want to just put on the facade of Jesus, but rather we want to be built up into Jesus just as Jesus was built. And there's a difference, and we're going to look at that here today. Let me share with you a quote. Christian maturity, it's not starting out with Jesus and then graduating to something better or more. The Christian life is starting with Christ and then spending the rest of eternity discovering more and more of what we already have in Him and more and more of the wonders of this person in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is our model. Jesus is our goal as a Christian. Not just to look back and say, he's a fantastic person, but rather I'm going to make myself into his image. That's the goal of the Christian life. And so join with me this morning, allowing the Holy Spirit of God to change us into the image of Christ as we take these first and necessary steps. If you're here and you're still figuring out if you're still searching out all of this, if you're wondering what Christianity is about, wondering what church, what makes it different, why do these people do this on a regular basis, I'm not going to talk over your head. I'm not going to give you a bunch of Christian talk, Christianese, things that you just don't quite understand. Rather, I want to point you to Jesus, and that's going to be simply it. 
because that's where it starts, and as we're going to learn, that's where it just continues. Looking at Jesus, I want to make the case this morning for Jesus' necessity as a part of your life. And so first of all, let's discover this. Who is this man that is filled with grace and truth? Verse 14 tells us that it is Jesus that is filled. But if you would, go back to verse number 12, because here we see a particularly interesting phrase. He says this, but as many as received him, received to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In verse 13, it says, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. I want to focus on those two words, received and then them. And I want to draw your attention to this because God is not solely up in the heavens. He's not some figments of some person's imagination that has convinced thousands and millions of people to follow. He's not some creation of some human being's mind, of some philosophers of days gone by. It's not just humanity trying to reach out and believe in something greater than ourselves, and that's what we call God, and that's what we worship, and we've created this whole religion around that idea. Rather, we see God in His Word that He wrote to us, by the way, in a desire to know who He is, He intervenes Himself into the affairs of His created world he is involving himself with us. And that's what we see about God. It's not just out there in this ununderstandable way. I just don't get who he is. I don't understand him. But rather, he is intervening himself into our lives. It says, as many as received him. That's a personal exchange. To them, it says, gave he power. That was God coming and intervening himself, interjecting himself into people, human beings. They lived a long time ago, but they're still just like us, intervening himself into their lives. It says to those that believe on his name, he grants to us his power. By believing in Jesus, we have the power of God in our lives. A power that you're not going to find by putting up a facade. A power that you're not going to find by pretending to be a Christian, but not quite ever understanding and grasping who Jesus truly and really is. What we see in God is not what some want to believe, that just simply that, that God exists or just something out there that may exist, but rather that God, from the very beginning, has interacted himself into the timeline of the world. You see, I don't simply hold that I believe it's foolish to believe that God cannot exist. I, I, I do believe that, right, that it's foolish to believe that God cannot exist. All right, there is a literally a world of evidence to the contrary, all right? This did not happen all on accident, by chance, or through a process of evolution. But rather, when we look at the message of the Bible, to take it even a step further, God Himself is claiming that this is His, in His perfect Word, we see an almighty Creator who loves each and every one of those that He breathed life into. And that's what grace is. You see... Sometimes in our definition of love, we want to love those that we will be reciprocated back with, for whatever the word is. All right, we're going, we're going to love those who we know will love us back. We're going to love those who have done something kind for us, who have done something unexpected for us. That's where our love is shown. And we would say, well, it makes sense for God to love those who believe Him, right? That makes sense. They're His children. He's going to love them because they believe that He came and died on the cross for their sins and forgave them for that. But that's not who Jesus said that He loved. 
Jesus says that he loves all of us, and that's genuine, true grace. Grace is that God loved you even, even in your sin, even though our hearts have rejected him, even for those who would curse his name and, 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 and speak foul things against him, God still loves them. It is God's, grace is God's ability to love even without reciprocity. Man, I'm going to stop writing words I can't read. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believeth. And see, that's the key. That whomsoever. It's not you believe and then God loved. God didn't love those who believed. That's not what the verse tells us. But rather God loved the world. And that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 verse 20 says that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see how foundational this is to who Jesus is? How important this aspect of grace is to who Jesus is? This is what separates Jesus from the rest of humanity. This is what makes Him distinct. Because it is easy to love those who love you or those who you can get something from. But to love anyone, to love everyone, is a characteristic of grace. It's a characteristic of Jesus. The gift of Jesus is the word mentioned here in verse number 1. Go back there and look at John 1.1. 1, 1. The word. You'll notice it's a capitalized word. That's because it's a name, and it's referring to the lights, another capitalized name, and to the Son, another name, all referring to the same person, Jesus. Jesus is the perfect Son of God. He took on flesh, literally. He was born of a woman. He became Jesus, the man that we know. But he didn't relegate any of his deistic qualities. This is how he remained full of grace and truth. Matthew Henry said it this way, He that had dwelt among angels, those noble and excellent beings, came and dwelt among us that are a generation of vipers. All right, That's, that's how he compared the human race. To know the Lord Jesus and who he truly is then, as in Philippians 2 brings out, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And then look at verse number 14 there in John chapter 1. If you take out the parenthetical statement, okay, just for clarity, that was clarifying something, but take that out and just look what John was saying. He goes, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. You see, this was God coming to live as man, but still God. God came and dwelt among humanity, but still remained God, still remained full of His grace and truth. And so what is the significance then of grace and truth? This is number two we're going to talk about. What is the significance of grace and truth in our lives? All right, we see that then as a characteristic of Jesus Christ. So what is it then in us? The grace of God is that He loved us. The Bible tells us that it's by His grace that we are saved, for salvation is that gift from God. Salvation, the means by which we can know for sure that our sins are forgiven so that we can spend our eternities in heaven, rather than be condemned in our sin to hell, is all by God's salvation, by His free gift given to us, His grace. For God to show us His grace by not condemning and damning us for our sins, but rather He forgives our every sin. 
past, present, and those that may come. He took them, and the Bible tells us that He separated them as far as the east is from the west. That's an eternal amount. And they can never again be charged against us. They can never once again be brought to court and say, this person is guilty of these sins. No, when we ask forgiveness from Jesus Christ, accepting His gift of salvation, God tells us He separates them. They're gone. They are removed. They are washed away. They are erased. So now we can stand before God perfect and holy. Now, in our mortal bodies, are we? No, we are not. But when we go to heaven and stand before Him, Jesus is going to stand in our place, and we will be perfect and holy. Jesus came to live among men. His holiness was surrounded by the scum of iniquities of earth, and He placed Himself right in the way of the sinner. You know, our being here this morning is the evidence of God's grace. I mean, if you are here, God is working, no doubt, in your life in some way. Well, I just showed up. Somebody put something on my door. I was walking down the street, and I saw a sign, and I just decided to come this morning. I don't know how you got here or why you came to Arise Baptist Church the first time, but because you are here is evidence of God working in your life. The desire to want to be here, the desire to come, that thing that was calling you to come out today to prepare last night, to get the family ready, to get them all clothed, changed, dressed, all that kind of stuff, in order to be here this morning is evidence of God working in your heart. And He wants to see the grace of His love that overflowed from His life flowing out of then your life. The grace of God brought us to salvation and then it continues into the life of every believer. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then he declared, Paul did, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And if God can forgive our sins and love us indeed, indeed by going to the cross and sacrificing Himself on Calvary and pouring out His blood for the atonement of His sacrifice of sin, then what is that going to look like in our lives? If that was the evidence of God's love to us in the way that He came and died on the cross for us, that was the evidence of His grace, of it working in His life, then what does grace look like working in your life? If it's an important integration into a Christian's life, again, not just that facade, not just that front that is placed on, but rather it's the, it's the, very, it's the, the very systems that are placed inside of us that allow us to function and to work and, to, and for a house to make it livable, for a Christian to make it workable. What is that going to look like? Is grace and truth working and running and, and, and functioning in your life? Or are you missing those systems? Or have you disconnected from the power? Right? Have you turned off the breaker and all of a sudden you're wondering, what's going on? Why am I not working anymore? Maybe we've just been disconnected. Maybe the systems aren't in place, aren't functioning properly. The evidence of grace in Jesus was that He came and He died for us. He left His heaven, wonderful, wonderful place, that came down to earth a not-so-wonderful place. All right, huge, huge difference, huge contrast between what heaven is and, and what we live in here on earth, what sin has created, the environment that we are in. But yet, but yet, God still was able to show grace. 
Grace isn't just a heavenly quality. It isn't just something that makes sense in a place where everything's perfect. I can show love in heaven because, oh, it's so perfect there. Yeah, everyone can show love in heaven. Everyone has grace in heaven. That's heaven. What makes it unique and so wonderful is that grace is being shown on earth. Jesus came and spent years and years and years living among humanity and still decided to die for all of it. How many of us, after living amongst humanity for a few years, would decide, you know what? These people, every single one of them, every one of them are worth dying for. I don't know if there's a person in this room who would make that sacrifice. No, of course not. That's what makes God so wonderful. That's what makes His grace so, uh, so, so, so powerful. Was that He died even though He knew others wouldn't even appreciate that. Wouldn't even come back and accept that. Wouldn't be a recipient of the love that he was showing in that action, in his deed of dying on the cross, and yet he still did it, and yet he still died. That's Christ's love, but yet that's what he wants in all of us. That's what he wants us to live like. That's what he wants you and I to be to others, to have a love to have that compassion, to have a heart for another soul in the way that Jesus had a heart for your soul. You cannot stand before the crowd this morning for any reason and say, I deserve God's grace. Not one of us could, myself included. Could not stand before all of us and say, I deserve God's grace. I was a good person and so that's why Jesus saved me. Not one of us could. There's not a person on earth who could. So, therefore, being undeserving of his love, you have to wonder then, why did Jesus love me? Why did he care about me? And so then when you look at that coworker who sits across from the desk and you wonder, okay, they're just a dishonest person, they're not doing things right, or they live immoral, they live a vile life. And you see that neighbor down the street and you just wonder how could God ever love somebody like that because I'm having trouble even just sharing a fence with them. You have to remember God loves them and He wants to see their souls changed. He wants to see their lives filled with this same grace and truth. And I'm sorry, Christians, if we're living antagonistic lives and we're full of strife, and we're full of just, just, just fighting and bickering with one another. We can't get along with others. If we can't have a heart for others, a love for others, if we don't have a heart that says, I care about that person, that one, or everyone, then we're missing it. We're missing it. It's not functioning right. It's not working right. Something isn't working like it's supposed to because grace isn't flowing out of our lives like it should. Let's go, if you would, look with me in Titus chapter 2. If you would turn over there, Titus chapter 2, because this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to look like as grace is built up into the Christian. In Titus chapter 2, in verse number 11. It says here in verse 11, For the grace of God hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope, 
and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And that verse there states it plainly, I believe summarized so well. Purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. God's grace in us moves us to purity, a separated, distinct, and holy life, a life not engaged in sin, not stained with sin, not stained with the bitterness and wrath and anger that defines a sinful person, but rather purified from those things to a holy life, a benevolent life, a life zealous of good works for the gospel that is given from our hearts, motivated from our hearts. We do in the junior church classroom, we've been doing over the summer an offering. And um, I, I try to be very careful with things like offerings because I know they can turn into fundraisers. And they turn into, oh, just see how much money we can give and let's, let's do that. And so with the kids, I, I, I reward them for certain things in class. And parents, you know, maybe you're upset because I give them candy for certain things. But I do not give them candy for bringing an offering. I don't reward them for that. I don't make any big deal about them giving an offering. It's just it's, we pass a little plate just like we do in here. And a big deal is not made because I don't want them to give for the wrong reasons. I don't want them to give because they think, oh, we're trying to raise all this money. We haven't made it about that. I don't try to give because I know I'll get a candy if I bring in a quarter. It's not about that. It's not what we give to church for. It's not about being recognized and, oh, wow, Mr. You know, Mr. John, he gave $5 today. All right, let's all give him a round of applause. We don't do anything like that. I've told them over and over, almost every week I tell them, you give to this offering because God wants you to give. That's it. If you don't feel God wants you to give, I don't want you to come and bring anything in the offering. But if God says you need to give some in the offering, then that's why we give into the offering. I want them to learn giving is from the hearts, not compelled, not out of, not out of, out of some kind of, of, of for, uh, force coercion to give them to want to. And it's the same for us as adults. I'm teaching them a principle as kids and going into a little more detail, but we give here not because it's expected or because we have to. The giving is from the hearts. You see, because giving is a worship. It's something that we do to God. But just like giving, and this isn't a message on that, just like that, though, because it works in the same way, is our giving of ourselves to others. It's not just a financial gift. It's not what it's even about. It doesn't matter. It's giving of ourselves. God wants our hearts. If He has our hearts, we're going to give to others. We're going to show up and go out and tell others about Jesus. We're going to go and, and have a compassionate heart for our coworker, even though they, they try to get you fired. All right, we're going to go and we're going to have a compassionate heart for our neighbor, even though they're, they, you know, they're, their dogs always keep us up at night or whatever it is. We're going to have a compassionate heart to want to give to see things go forward here because we know from here as a church, as a vehicle, the gospel is going forth. We're going to want to give of our time and of our abilities, these, these, these gifts that God has given to us. We want to give from our heart back to God. That's grace at work. That's how it works. It's a decision that I am His... And so because I am His and I am filled with Him, His grace is going to overflow from my life to others. 
into others' lives as well. If we look at Jesus' ministry, back to, back to the notes here, Jesus' ministry was very focused, but it was also full of variety. I mean, His first miracle was turning water or, or into wine at a wedding. He cast out demons out of a man and sent them into pigs. He walked on water through a storm. He fed thousands with just a small lunch. He created a nationwide uproar and involvement of Roman authorities to quell the rioting taking place in the capital there at Jerusalem. I mean, Jesus had quite a ministry. The people in his life varied in huge degrees as well. He was born just into a blue-collar family, a carpenter, interacting with shepherds, fishermen, and farmers. These were his people. This was his culture. He became a friend of the poor, the handicapped, the maimed, the blind. He rose in notoriety. He was honored by a Roman centurion. He had the private audience of religious elite at dinners and at banquets. He was the conversation talk of the Roman governor and of the Jewish ruling class. Eventually even stood before them in trial. He never limited his ministry by class, race, prejudice, or affiliation. And in the three years that he ministered, his focus was always the same. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That was it. It didn't matter who he was talking to or what avenue of ministry he was serving in. His goal was one and the same. To call sinners to repentance. And you realize the power of that statement. In that one statement, he erased... Every man-made division. We want to separate by race and skin color. We want to separate by class and by, by income. We want to separate by, in, uh, by, by, by um, education. We want to separate by a place somebody lives or what kind of family that they have. And we want to say, well, you're a, you're a model family or you're just a single mom. We want to separate these. And, and man wants to say one is worse and one is better. And one is, we want to do all of that as man. And that's sin. Because here's what God says. There's two groups of people. There's the righteous and there's the unrighteous. That's how God sees us. That's how God looks across this room. That's how God looks across the world. And His grace is for everyone to compel the unrighteous to righteousness. To compel the sinner to repentance. That's what God wants to do. He doesn't care about any of the other things that man says is important. That humanity wants to make the preeminent reason to witness, to reach out, or who we're going to do these things with. God says it's down to one of two people. That's what grace, working in a life, understands. If there were 100 and only one sinner, Jesus would have still come to earth to die for that one. He told us that. That is grace. God sought you out, He found you, and in your heart He seeks residence. And if you do not have Jesus living in your heart this morning, then a simple prayer of acceptance of Jesus' free gift is all that it takes. You don't have to put on, you don't have to conform, you don't have to put on the facade. Nobody in, in here expects you to look, start looking like and acting like some Christian. Oh, i got to do this weird stuff that they do. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What God wants from every heart is to know that you're His. He wants to shine His grace, to pour out His grace 
onto you. That's what God wants. If you've never prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, then friend, that's what He wants you to make. That, that's the decision He wants you to make today. Ask God for forgiveness of your sins to save you and give you a home in heaven. That's what God wants for every single person. Now, many of you have done that. Many of you have been changed. You know that your eternity is secured in heaven. You know that your sins are forgiven. They've been separated as far as the east is from the west. You know that you stand purified before God. Maybe you're wondering, how come then it just isn't working? How come this trial is so discouraging? How come this, 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 this wall in my life I can't get over, I can't get around? Why can't I figure out what's missing? I don't have that power of the Christian life. And it goes back to this grace. It goes back to this grace, being filled, just as Jesus was, with this grace and truth. What is the gift? It is the truth of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're given the most simple narration of what the gospel is. It says in verse number 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that He was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve, and after that of, of about five hundred brethren at once. This is the simple reason of Jesus. It's why He came, it's who He is, and why He personally matters to you and to me. This is how Jesus intervened Himself into our lives. He made His gifts so unavoidably necessary to accept. And Paul, in, open, in, his, um, uh, in his personal testimony, continues in verse number 9, For I am the least of the apostles, and am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I now am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but that I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And then He closes an exhortation. He says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We're called to good works the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ to proclaim the truth of Jesus' death, burial, and His resurrection. But if we're just trying to do it, if we're just trying to be a good person, if we're just trying to act like this is what I'm supposed to do, then you're missing it. Christianity is not created in our lives of our own power. It is something that God does in us, through us, to others. We cannot be a good enough person even to be a Christian. There are some wonderful people all over the world, wonderful people who do some wonderful things, who do things that are just incredible, but they could not do enough. They could not do it all, but God can. And God wants to do it through you. So the challenge is not, well, I just need to be a better person. I need to be doing more things. I need to love others. I mean, I should go out. I better be out tomorrow or something going out and telling others about. It's not what it's about. It's not what I'm saying. It's not what the, what the point of this was all about. The point is to be filled with this grace and truth. Understand Jesus. Fall in love with Him. Let Him lead in your life because, yeah, maybe He'll send you out tomorrow. But not because you decided to, but because God wants you to. There's a difference. 
Because the, the, the first is just, it's just painting the facade again. It's putting the sheetrock on the walls without having anything behind. All right, you're not finished. You're not ready to be completed because that's the work that Jesus does. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll close. Father, God, we thank you for Jesus. That he came and he loved us despite, despite everything. That he came and he died on the cross for us, knowing our sins, knowing our wicked hearts, knowing our rejection. But yet he still loved me. He still loved all of us. Jesus, that you love the world. And your one desire is that everyone would know you. God, I don't have the audience of the world here this morning, but for those that are here, God, would you work in their hearts? Would you have your way convict or challenge or change? Fill, Lord, those who need you here this morning. Fill us with this grace, this truth. May we be more like you, not because of a paint job, but because we're filled. And from the very beginning stages, Lord, we've, we're modeling our Christian behavior, our lifestyle on you. Let me do this. You can stay in prayer if you're speaking to God, letting Him deal with you, or just spend some time with Him. And while you do that, I'd like to ask a couple of questions. There's nothing more important than what I talked about this morning, not because I talked about it, but because it's what the Bible is about, that Jesus came and died for our sins. Is there any in here this morning that say, Hey, Brother Josh, I do not know for sure if I've ever been changed by Jesus. Maybe you've been coming because you thought this is what you're supposed to do. Coming to church is a good thing, but it's not the main thing. It's not the real thing. And say, I've never been changed by Jesus. I've never prayed to ask Jesus to forgive my sins. You as an individual, not somebody praying for you, not somebody doing it in a general sense, but you yourself talking to God acknowledging your sin and accepting the forgiveness of God of that sin. Because if that's you this morning, there are ladies and there are men who would love to show you from the Bible, take some time, walk you through it, pray along right, right with you, whatever it takes, whatever you would need, and to let you make that decision to begin this process of living like Jesus, having a changed life, a, 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 a wonderful life, having the power of God, overcoming the wickedness, the sin, the evil, the depression, all of those things that come with the sin of this world, having the power of God to overcome those things. He wants to do that in you. Is there anybody like that? You raise your hand this morning in the quietness, the solitude of the moment. Say, I'd like to know for sure that heaven would be my home. I, I don't know if my sins have been forgiven. I understand what Jesus did on the cross, but I've never personally accepted those that, that forgiveness. Let's close in prayer. Father,
And again, we thank you. We love you. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for Jesus. God, we thank you for the church, that you would gift us this, Lord, to, to enjoy, to, to have. I pray that, Lord, as a body of believers, you would be our focus, the, the reason that we live our life, the primary motivation for our every day. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.